0: All take our seats, please. Test, test, yeah. Good morning. we bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Yes, establish the work of our hands. The word of the Lord.
1: Hey, everybody. Can you guys hear me okay? Yeah. Man, it's so good um, to finally be here up here uh, to hang out with you guys and to share God's word with you. Um, such a privilege. But if you don't mind, um, I'm going to open us up in prayer and uh, ready our hearts to hear God's word. Um, Father, we just thank you so much for today. We give you thanks that in all the things that has happened this week, you've um, kept us and you've given us rest today, Lord, and and um, we get to be here. It's just, a, it's just a great miracle that you've loved us and that you've um, hold us so close to you, Lord. And we pray, Father, that these words um, that would sink deep in our hearts and just resonate um, for the rest of the week and the days to come. In Jesus' name. So, um, you know, four years ago, uh, you know, if you guys don't know, um, I spent some time in, uh, in, in Thailand. And about four years ago, I was raising money uh, to serve as a missionary uh, in Thailand. And at this point in time, I had already met my wife, Reagan. She wasn't my wife at the time. She was just my, uh, my girlfriend. And um, she was anticipating that I would come, right? Um, at this point in time, we've, we've done everything. I was excited to see her. I was ex- she was excited to see me. And it's been a year and a half, and we've never met each other. So she could have been catfishing me for all I knew, right? We'd done everything. We video chatted, we snail mailed, emailed, sent fake cassette tapes to each other, we phone called. I had an urgency to get there, but not just for Reagan, but also to serve the people in Thailand. And in fact, I was so urgent to get there that I needed to get there fast, I needed to get there quick. And for those of you guys who are in sales or any type of venture capital job, you know, those types of jobs, you just don't know if your, your income goes up or it goes down. You just don't know, right? You just need to hustle. And since I was raising money, that was my full-time job. I was living off of my savings. I was sell, uh, selling Hello Kitty, jo- uh, Hello Kitty bags door-to-door. I was cooking for families. I IT consulted on the side. Um, I did whatever I could to stay afloat. I planned my entire schedule, right? I ended up working about 60 to 80 hour weeks. Um, and you know, I was pretty tired. Uh, I overworked. And in fact, I overworked so much that I started to kind of develop symptoms for anxiety, right? And in the spring of 2016, as I was, as I was driving home from um, after a long meeting, um, I started to feel a tingling sensation, right? It started to creep up my neck. My hands and my feet started to, like, have that pins and needle feeling, kind of like you falling asleep, like your feet are falling asleep, and then my heart started to go erratic. I thought I was dying. And right as as I was feeling all this stuff, I just had to pull it aside. It got so bad that I couldn't drive myself home. Actually, a couple friends had to drive me home. You know, I wasn't wise in making the decisions that I did, right? I, I worked too hard. I didn't rest. I didn't obey God and actually rested. In fact, I was actually more fearful that I couldn't meet my own expectations. So if you guys are following along today and taking notes, we're going to actually be hitting three points. You will die, count your days, and fear God. So the first point is you will die. In verses 3 to 10, what we actually see is the grand narrative for this life. God is the one that actually gives us life, but he's also the one that takes away our lives with a simple word. It's just like that, and, and we're gone. Some of you guys here, you have about 20 years left. Some of you, maybe 10. Some of you here that are 30, you think you have 50 left. But you don't know that. No one knows that, I don't know that. No one knows when they will really go. And this is, of course, really difficult for us, isn't it? Especially for people that live in Orange County. We're so busy. We're so busy doing this, taking our kids around, working, trying to get the ladder, trying to get to the next job, trying to get the better pay. But friends, let me, let me put this in perspective for us. If we live about 80 to 70 years, all of us here will work about 90,000 hours. That's 3, That's 3,750 Um, days or if you decide to work 24 hours straight for 15 years back to back that's not a lot of years that's assuming that if you live to 70 or 80 years like the psalmist says here and our lives are like what the psalmist says is like grass which is renewed in every morning flourishes fades and then withers you guys ever think how crazy that is That in all of our lives, we struggle to build a name for ourselves, a name for the field of our work, the name for our hangout group, a name and a legacy for our children to remember. But nothing really lasts. And all the things that we toil for, that we work so hard for, eventually comes to an end. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 22 to 23, it says, what do people get for all the toil an anxious striving with which they labor under the sun. All their days their work is grief and pain, and, and even at night their minds do not rest. I don't know about you guys, but I spend a lot of time reading the New York Times. I read mostly the obituaries. I don't read anything else. And I always find that it's fascinating that the highest pinnacle of an American in this country is to be written in the New York Times, in the obituaries. You've made it. If you've been written in there, all 11 words, I've counted, each time it's about 11 words that gets written about you, it either describes whether you were lovable or a ruthless person in life. Think about all the famous rulers. Think about all the kings and the queens and all the people that have passed throughout history from every continent. They end up as as relics. Egyptian kings dug up. Dictators thrown behind formaldehyde bins and, and displayed behind a glass window. You were once the most powerful person in the world and now we pay 40 bucks to look at you through a plastic window. I don't know about you, when I hear this, this kind of grieves me. All the things that I do will eventually come to an end. And if people know that they are dying, people who know they are dying, they prepare to die. They set their house in order. Friends, knowing that you are about to die should lead you to urgency. An urgency is a wonderful thing, right? It causes us to finally do our homework or to finally work and to stop procrastinating, right? It finally causes us to make a good decision. It's particularly good for those of us who are lazy and apathetic. We live as if we live forever. We think that there is a the tomorrow. But truly, no one ever knows. We don't know that. And the awareness and the acceptance of the fact that we will die should wake us up because we realize that the end is near and the looming nature of death is what causes us to be urgent. But of course, urgency isn't all just good. Urgency without wisdom is horrible. A former neighbor SEAL commander, Work Denver, says this, panic is contagious chaos is contagious stupid is 100% contagious when we pursue urgency without any type of wisdom without any type of thinking without any type of and we only lay ourselves into our own emotions it's completely directionless it can move it can move and it, it can move along your plans but it doesn't mean that it's moving in the right direction it leads to poor decision making And instead of stopping to pray and to reflect, where do you and I go? We go to panic. We get anxious. So we go, 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 go. And instead of slowing down to rest, we work harder. It's better to feel busy than to feel anxiety. Instead of being patient, you demand things to be solved immediately. So you stay up with your wife and you hash things out until you didn't sleep. And instead of making a decision of where we should eat, you get hangry. Our reactions in urgent situations reveal what we truly worship. But what is this wisdom that we're talking about? What is this wisdom that anchors our urgency? Let's go back to the passage. Look at verse 12 with me. It says, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. All right, so that leads us to our second point, which is count your days. And counting, counting is very significant for all of us, isn't it? Right? We're, we're told here to teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom, but that means counting. And for all of us here, when we count, it means we count because we're anticipating something. Weddings. Chris and Christy, you're getting married. That's amazing. Some of you guys are preparing to get engaged, right? Some of you junior hires, you're about to get and graduate, right, into high school. And some of those college students, you're getting ready to move on to another career. We also count to celebrate. Many of us have just celebrated our anniversaries. Reagan and I, just celebrated our one year. Some of us just had babies. Had many baby showers. So many baby showers here. And many of us count to plan our retirement, our death. But planning takes a lot of work. And in order for things to get done, things have to be prioritized. And when you and I count intentionally our days, it leads us to a heart that prioritizes. Many of us feel like there's not enough time, there's not enough time, I just got to do this and then I got to do that and then oh my gosh, like it's back to work. That's our weekend. But all of us here, we have 168 days. We spend one at church and that leaves 167. God has made us with a limit for our days, with limitations. We all here have a limited capacity and when we violate it, We pay for it. We become overwhelmed. We think and we need more time is the answer. But the reality is maybe we weren't meant to do all that at all. And when we're overwhelmed, it just shows that our priorities are messed up. So friends, how do we actually tell if our priorities are screwed up? Well, you can ask these two questions. You can ask first, who or what do you build your schedule around? Is it your kids, is it your parents, is it your work, is it your future vacation? I mean, these are all wonderful things, right? But those are our priorities. And number two, if something comes up, do you actually guard this activity? Do you actually guard this activity? Or do you actually just allow it to get replaced? so, So a spiritual litmus test for us, friends, is that our priorities reveal who we actually worship. But again, priorities are a good thing. But when priorities are pursued without wisdom, it's like building a house on sand. It's like building a house without a foundation. In Luke chapter 14, verses 28 to 31, it says this For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all that who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. But how do we get that wisdom? You keep talking about wisdom, 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 behind your urgency, behind your priorities. But what is this wisdom? In verse 12, it says, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Wisdom is knowing who you are in light of who God is. Wisdom is knowing who you are in light of who God is difficult decisions, easy decisions, during the good times, during the bad times. Wisdom is not knowledge. It's a huge difference. Wisdom is not knowledge, but rather the ability to make good judgments in light of who God is. But how does one actually gain this perspective? How does one actually sink in and believe that it is this way? And the answer is fear. Wait, serious fear? Out of all the things, why does it have to be fear? And to understand the fear of God, we have to look back at our passage again. Let's look at verse 8. And I'll keep on reading. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in light of your presence. And for all our days pass under your wrath, we bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason, a strength of 80. Yet there's span, but is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger, your wrath, according to the fear of you? Friends, I know, like, the wrath of God is pretty problematic, isn't it? But remember a few weeks ago when Pastor Eric Kapoor talked about justice and how God is just? To have a just God, you have to have a wrathful God, Right? To have a just God means you have to have a, wrath of, a, a wrathful God. But the wrath of God basically means that there will be punishment for things that are wrong in this world. God is not an apathetic bystander. He's passionate about his creation. And when things go wrong, he just doesn't sit there and he's like, oh my gosh. Uh, you know, he'll uh, try harder. I mean, certainly none of us that have children here do that to our kids when they screw up, they mess up, we don't just say, oh, don't worry about it, don't worry about it, especially when it's detrimental to their health, when it hurts them, when it's painful to them, you don't just sit and like, ah, it's all right, watch more Netflix, it's all right, don't do your homework, don't worry about it, I mean, what kind of God would he be if he just allowed every single horrible thing that has happened to us to continue into eternity? I mean, if you guys are following the news, Jeffrey Epstein is dead. But you know what? To God, he isn't spared. Mao Zedong isn't spared. Hitler isn't spared. Stalin isn't spared. All the dictators of the world are not spared. You and I aren't spared. In Romans 3, chapter 10, I mean, sorry, Romans chapter 3, verses 10 to 18, it says, As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one, There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison vibrance is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin, misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Honestly, without God, this is how we live. The only time that we stop fearing God is the time that we forget that we will die. You and I forget to be humble. But again, there's something more about the word fear that we need to investigate, right? The word fear is often misunderstood because the very basics of language is often misunderstood. Not all words are the same, right? Just because they're spelled the same, that doesn't mean they mean the same. Not all words that sound the same mean that they will be the same. There are certain words that only carry one meaning, right? Like shoe, shirt, ring, hand, food, blood, Christ just one meaning. But there are other words that have multiple meanings. Delicious, amazing, good. Reagan and I fight about this all the time. I eat something, I'm like, ah, it's pretty good. It's not bad. She's like, oh, it it wasn't good. But for her, good means good, right? I mean, let's just take a look at the word good, for instance, right? I know that some of you guys know and you guys love basketball here. Um, some of you guys have played uh, basketball with each other. But I know Ryan Diala at our church is pretty good at basketball. And some of you guys have played with him. I've never seen him play, but I hear he's pretty good. He's competitive, tall, talented, handsome. His hook shot is on point. And let's imagine for a second that you and I just got on a plane and I just so happened to sit down and I sit next to Steph Curry. And Steph Curry, you know, we talk about God, we talk about life, we talk about tacos in Orange County. We're like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. And we talk about basketball, and I'm like, dude, bro, you should meet my friend. He's pretty good at basketball. You should play him. (laughs) It sounds kind of interesting, right? (laughs) Pretty good for Ryan is not even on the same level as good for Steph Curry. I love you, Brian. Uh, Ryan, sorry, I love you. Like, I'm not trying to make fun of that. But let's look back to God. Is the word fear the same for God as it is for man? If you look at fear according to man, it says a strong, unpleasant feeling caused by being aware of danger or expecting something to happen. Webster. But fear according to God is not that, it's humility. Humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life, Proverbs 22, 4. Friends, the fear of God has more to do with who he is than what he will do to you. The fear of God has more to do with who he is than what he's about to do to you. And we learn a lot of great things in today's passage, right? If we look at verses 1 and 2, we see that God is our refuge. God has always been our shelter. God is our dwelling, our creator. And before the foundations of the world, before the creation of the world, God was there. God is also merciful. Jump to verse 15 with me. It says, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years we have seen evil. How does a person actually become glad if your whole life was just engulfed in pain and suffering and sorrow? All of us have baggage. All of us have so much pain. We've seen so much horror in this life. How does one actually become glad? I mean, I've seen my friends die. I've seen my friends commit suicide. I've seen other people try to kill themselves. How does one actually see that and actually say God is good? The answer is we look at him. We look at his work and we look at the gospel. Verse 16 says, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Friends, the only way to be glad is to look at his work because there's no other thing that we have that will make sense of this crazy world, that would make sense of our own inability to walk with God. He's, Friends, if you're not a Christian today, consider this. It is the work of Jesus Christ that has any power to save you. He's the reason that we no longer have to fear God's wrath because he's willing to pay for it. We no longer have to fear God's wrath because Christ is the answer and he is risen. Romans 8 tells us that therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For the law, um, I'm sorry. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in the flesh, and in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Or how about the more famous one, John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You know, when we're able to see this gospel, this good news, God finally becomes the end of all fears. The fear of God is the end of all fears. And when we believe that, truly, we can say what the psalmist says in verse 14. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. The end of fears is the fear of God because it leads to joy. Not panic, not anxiety, but joy and steadfastness that leads to the ability that makes us new. And in this newness of life, It gives us the ability to finally make those wise decisions we've been longing for. So in light of us, in light of all of this, and all all the things that we've learned, what does this actually look like for us practically? The fear of God, which is wisdom and humility, teaches us to take a look at our lives in light of who God is. It's remembering that we will die. Our fame will pass away all the things that we've ever worked for will come to an end. Our days are short. And apart from God, everything that we do is hopeless. And as our creator and the one who gives us breath and meaning and purpose to this life, God is the only one who will be able to satisfy you and me. He's the only one that will give you a deep joy, a deep satisfaction and wisdom navigating this life. And so we... As Christians, or becoming Christians, or non-believers consider this, we are to submit every aspect of our life to him. And as Eugene Peterson points it out in the message version of Romans 12, it says this, take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, going to work, and walking around in life, and place it before God as an offering. Friends, this means that we are to prioritize God and the things that He prioritizes. Most of us here know the, the idea of investing, right? We invest in our education, we invest in our homes, we invest in a mortgage, we invest in our careers, we invest in our bodies, we invest in our brand. But how many of us invest in our character? Ten years from now, I'm gonna be so patient. I'm gonna love my brother. I'm not gonna argue with my wife anymore on Christmas Day because it's stressful. In 30 years from now, I hope that my children will not piss me off anymore and I will just be that much more patient to them. In one year from now, I'm just gonna pray once a day. How many of us prioritize our character? We want humility, but we're unwilling to reconcile with our bad boss. We want patience. But every single time we get a jury duty call or going to the DMV, we're like, ugh. Again? We want rest. But we've never taken a day off in years. Placing our lives as an offering before God means that it's going to be very difficult. It's taking those unnatural steps toward God and others. Reaching out to people that you hurt and reconciling. Reaching out to people that hurt you and reconciling. And you know what, friends? If you fail, that's okay. You no longer have to be afraid of it. It won't be clean. It won't be easy. It won't be the best thing that you hoped for in your life. But you know this, is that you can be confident that God will establish your steps God has already paid for it. And he's ultimately the one that will finish that work on your behalf. All the evil things that you've seen in this life, for as many days that he's afflicted you, and for many years that you and I have seen evil, he will finally make us glad. And that's because of Christ. Christ has lived the life that you and I could not live. He has died a death that you and I could not, that you and I that deserve totally. Friends, if you hear his voice today, surrender. Surrender your will. Turn from your sin and believe in him. And as you would dwell in him, he will establish the work of our hands. He will establish the work of our hands. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much um, for today. Um, I thank you, Lord, that you've reminded us to consider you, Lord, that all of us here, we don't know if we have a year or 20 years from now or 10 years, we're gone. But we thank you so much, Lord, that you have left us without, without leaving us with no hope. You left us with Christ. You left us with your work. And Father, I pray for each and every one of us here that struggles so dearly to hold on to you. I pray, Father, that they can rest in you, knowing that you have started the work and that you will finish it. So, Father, help us to fall more in love with you each day. We thank you for this Sunday. We thank you for how you love us, in Jesus' name.